Good morning, everyone. Thank you uh, very much, Anne, uh, for that reading. Uh, My name is Sam, and I've got the privilege of helping us to uh, kick off this Jesus Rediscovered series on this Harvest Sunday. Uh, As Christoph said, in this series, we're going to be trying to get to grips with some big questions about life and about God uh, as we look at Mark's Gospel. And let me just give you a couple of quick thoughts on why we should take Mark's Gospel seriously, even if we've got a a lot of questions about God. And first... Mark's gospel uh, comes to us as eyewitness material. Christoph mentioned this. As you read through it, it reads like the account of somebody who knew Jesus uh, very well. Uh, So we've got eyewitness uh, history here. And secondly, uh, what we have in our Bibles today, uh, we can be very confident, is what Mark actually wrote for us. Uh, The translation comes uh, from his Greek, uh, and the Greek that we have, we can be very sure, is very close to what he originally wrote. Okay, I won't go into any more of that background info, but come and chat to me if you'd like uh, some facts and figures on that. But with that, let's get straight in and uh, look at Mark's headline. Have a look with me uh, on uh, page 1002, uh, if you've got that, and verse 1. And Mark gives us a kind of introduction to this passage. He says that this is the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Gospel just means good news. Uh, If you've got a different translation there, you may well have it written as good good news. Same thing. And Mark says that this good news, this gospel, is about a person, Jesus. So, right up front, Mark is very honest about what he's trying to do. He's writing us an account of somebody's life that he says is good news. Now, I've not lived in Belfast for very long at all, really, just over a year But you don't have to be in Belfast for very long to know that this message about Jesus doesn't feel like very good news in Belfast today. I guess it doesn't feel like news because lots of us will have had some kind of connection with the Christian faith, even from childhood. And it maybe doesn't feel like good news uh, in Ulster today either. Uh, A few of us were uh, on a bus tour uh, going around uh, Belfast a few weeks ago. And as we went through the sort of patchwork of different communities that there are in Belfast, uh, we came into South Belfast, and the tour guide said to us, now we're coming into South Belfast, and here the different communities have learned to get on with each other. And the reason is, is they've worked out that it doesn't really matter what religion your neighbor is, and that's the way it should be. Now what's, what's underlining, underlying that comment? There's a sense that religion has been part of the problem in this country. And we'd have to say particularly the Christian religion, the message about Jesus. It doesn't feel like good news. And so it's interesting, isn't it? It ought to arouse our curiosity, maybe, that Mark, when he was writing, didn't feel ashamed at all to begin his message by saying, this is the good news about this guy, Jesus. Now, maybe Mark was totally off his rocker. Uh, Maybe he just didn't foresee all the kind of events that would happen. Or maybe, and I guess this is just a maybe, but maybe uh, we, what we perceive as Christianity today, maybe we've somehow lost touch with the good news. Maybe what we associate with Jesus really isn't the good news at all. I was chatting to somebody on Thursday night um, who is deeply frustrated and deeply disappointed with his experiences of the church. Uh, And listening to his story, I could totally understand why. Uh, It's a really sad story. 
But I suppose I came away from that conversation particularly sad uh, because his experiences of church seem to have put him off from wanting to have a relationship with God at the moment. I don't want to be more specific than that because there's a chance that he's, uh, he's joined us today. I hope so. Uh, but I'm sure we could all tell stories like that, couldn't we? Uh, of our friends or, or perhaps of ourselves. And so here's what I tried to tell him. I, I tried to say, listen, the good news of Christianity is not the church. It's not here we are and we're going to sort your life out. No, I think that claim that the church is full of hypocrites has got, you know, it's got some merit. Uh, of course, we'll try uh, to do the best that we can, but we will let people down. But the thing is, we're not the good news. Mark says that Jesus is. And so if we're going to give Christianity any kind of a chance, and I guess that many of us are here this morning because that's something that we want to do, if we're going to do that, then we've got to go back to this original message. We've got to go back and see whether this story that Mark tells of Jesus and his life, whether that story can be good news for us today. And so that's really what we're going to do over these next few weeks. We're just going to go through and look at Jesus' life and see whether that is good news. Well, to start this morning, Mark gives us a kind of a sneak preview of what he's going to show us over these next few weeks, a kind of a trailer for why is Jesus so special? Why is he good news? So those are our questions this morning. Who is Jesus according to Mark? And why would that be good news? Well, as we move into verse 2, we're perhaps surprised to start seeing all this stuff about Isaiah the prophet. And then it gets even stranger when we meet this guy, John the Baptist, who eats locusts and wild honey. And it's maybe, to be honest, not the most accessible way to begin an account of somebody's life. Uh, Perhaps if we opened up the Roy Keane biography and found he was quoting old prophecies and and that kind of thing, we'd perhaps be tempted to, to not read on. But actually, Mark is a very selective writer. You notice that he doesn't include any mention of Jesus' birth or his young life here. He's going straight to the point. And so there's a reason that he feels that this material is very important. So let's have a closer look at verses 2 and 3. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. I suspect I'm not making a controversial claim if I was to say that the world is not really the way it should be. I guess a lot of us would would think that today. Uh, Despite the prosperity that we can see uh, around us, our world is full of people going hungry, uh, of people hurting each other, uh, of disease and of death, of beheadings even, and bombings. Well, Mark is quoting from a part of the Bible written over 500 years before Jesus by this man called Isaiah. And the people that Isaiah was writing to were facing exactly these kinds of things or or, or similar. But Isaiah comes with a message. He comes with promises that God is one day going to put everything in this world right. To help us imagine this, Isaiah says, think of a barren wilderness Maybe think of the Silent Valley if you've ever been there. And picture it, and that's a picture of our world at the moment. It's broken. And then picture it becoming a fruitful field full of crops and trees and birds and good things. And that's a picture, Isaiah says, of how God is going to put our world right 
when he comes. The wilderness is a picture of a world that's separated from God. But when God comes, instead of war, there will be peace. Instead of sadness, there will be comfort. Instead of the constant threat of death, there will be life forever. Well, the bit of Isaiah's promises that Mark particularly quotes uh, for us, just have a look at it. He says that I will send a messenger uh, before God comes, and he's going to prepare the way for God. He's going to be like a voice calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. He's like an alarm clock that goes off at 6 a.m. in the morning, telling you that everything is about to kick off. And Mark carries straight on into verse 4. And so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. In case, I probably don't need to join the dots. Mark sort of leaves us to work it out, doesn't he? But John is the voice crying in the wilderness. And in verse 7, we can see how he prepares the way for the Lord. Have a look at verse 7. This was John's message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. And then he gives this slightly cryptic uh, promise. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Whatever that means, the one who comes after John is going to do something much more radical, something much deeper. Were you around in Belfast, I wonder, during the Giro? Um, I was watching it here in Ballyhackamore, and it was great to see the buzz around the place uh, as over uh, the sort of days before, there were railings being put up and the road was being closed off. And then the crowds all gathered to come and watch the event. And I can remember how we knew that the cyclists were about to come through because you'd see, first of all, one of those um, guys on the motorbikes, the outriders, coming along the road. Uh, and then you'd start hearing the rumble of the, of the uh, bikes coming up the hill. And everyone would be looking down the road to catch a glimpse of them. And then, at last, the the team would come through and they'd be gone. Well, John the Baptist is a little bit like those guys on the motorbike. He's the guy who's the outrider coming just ahead of the main event, coming to prepare the way for the Lord. And so this part is important. Mark's put it here, I think, because he wants us to see straight away, before we even get to Jesus... Just how much of a big deal uh, Jesus' coming is. There's something unique about him. There's a kind of crackle of excitement in the air around his coming. Because he's not going to be just another religious teacher telling us uh, what to do to sort ourselves out. He's not going to be just another political leader who can make things better for a time, but who quickly fades away. He's coming to bring an end to all the longing and the hoping and the waiting, for all those promises that have been there for hundreds of years, those promises of comfort from God, of peace, of putting everything the way it should be. So Mark claims that this story about Jesus and his life is a story about God keeping his promises. And that's the first reason that this message about Jesus is good news for us today. Because we live after this event. We live after Jesus' coming. We live in this time when God is putting everything right through Jesus. And so I hope as we begin this exploration, this kind of rediscovery of Jesus, I hope we won't make the mistake uh, that's very common 
of thinking that this is some kind of self-help message, a kind of ten steps to a new you. If it's true, this message is much bigger than that. It's not just good advice for how to live. It's good news about what God is going to do for us. It's about God taking a massive step into our world, into history, and coming to put everything right. Well, the second thing that we learn about Jesus uh, in this little section, this introduction, this trailer, uh, comes as we see Jesus finally arriving on the scene. So have a look now with me at verses 9 to 11. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now, I'm guessing that many of us uh, would be pretty surprised, maybe skeptical, if we heard uh, about a voice kind of coming from heaven. And I think that would have been the same in Mark's time as well. This is not the kind of thing that happens all over the Bible. In fact, just a couple of times. And let me suggest that if Jesus really is God coming into our world to put everything right, you would expect there to be unusual events like this one happening. And so I think we should take this as a kind of an invitation to think, well, it, could Jesus really be this kind of unique person uh, that would have these kind of events happening to him? And that's what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks as we look uh, in more detail at Jesus' life. Uh, but for now, what I'd like us to do is to just listen in for a moment to this voice from heaven and see what it is it's saying. Because we're getting a, a very rare glimpse, a precious glimpse into God's emotional life here. What we hear is God the Father announcing to God the Son, his Son, Jesus is his Son whom he loves. And I wonder uh, whether your view of God has got room for this kind of affection. This isn't a God who's some kind of kindly old man in the sky who's just sort of quite nice. And it's not a God who's impersonal or abstract or or, or full of hate. This is a God who is a father, who has got a deep love and a special delight in his son. So here's the second thing then that Mark wants to show us about Jesus, is that he is uniquely the father's beloved son. Sounds like Jesus has got everything that we'd love our own family relationships to be, doesn't it? He's fully known and fully loved. But he's got that relationship with God. The person the Bible says is our creator. The one that we've been celebrating for giving us everything good this morning. And here's why Mark thinks that this is good news for us. Because Jesus doesn't just come to put the world right. He comes to offer us a genuine relationship with God. Uh, Look back at those words that we uh, mentioned earlier in verse 8. John's slightly cryptic promise. John said, I baptize you with water, but Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. 
What John is saying here is something absolutely stunning. He's claiming that God will, that Jesus will put God's very presence, God's Holy Spirit, into people, and that will bring them into the family of God. We got a bit of a picture of this at Jesus' own baptism. You remember how it said that this thing, the Spirit, descends on Jesus like a dove at Jesus' baptism, just before those words come from heaven, you are my son whom I love. Well, that's a picture of what happens to us when we come into a relationship, a friendship with Jesus. He gives us that Holy Spirit. And it means that we can be sure of hearing those same words from God over us. You're my daughter. You're my son. I love you. I'm delighted with you. With you, I am well pleased. And so this is good news, isn't it? If this is true, it means that there's a way home. Uh, There's a way back into God's family. There's a way to be fully known and fully loved by God. Well, Mark's just been giving us a glimpse, just a taster of this good news. Uh, There's lots more to say, and so don't worry if uh, it feels like a lot for the first uh, session. We're going to be going a bit more slowly over the coming weeks and seeing uh, how Mark builds his case that this is what Jesus comes to do. But let me kind of summarize what Mark's been showing us this morning. He says that Jesus is God coming into our world to put everything right. He's coming to bring us out of this wilderness of our world, this world that's separated from God, and to bring us home. Well, I hope that's enough to whet your appetite for these coming weeks. Uh, But for now, let me lead us in a prayer. Let's pray. Dear God, we're thanking you this morning for the good things in life that you give us. And we ask now that we'll be open to hearing from you as we go on in our lives. And we pray that you would show us whether this message about Jesus really is good news. Amen.